0: Welcome back to Chat with the Designers, a weekly technical discussion forum for amateur radio homebrewers and experimenters with your hosts, George N2APB and Joe N2CX. Welcome to... Tonight's session of Chat with the Designers, this is May 22nd, and you're on TeamSpeak along with co-hosts George N2APB, that's me, and Joe N2CX. And tonight we have a really, really interesting session that concerns ATUs, antenna tuning units, or antenna tuners, or transmatches, whatever you might happen to know and love this topic by. Is something that we've all built. Undoubtedly, every one of us have built one along the way because we heard it's a good thing to do. Tonight, we're going to learn maybe why it's a good thing to do and also go through some of the basics of what makes it do its job. The kind of matches that we're talking about are not the kind that, you know, strike close cover before striking or not the kind of matches that you want to go online for a dating service. The point is, the kind of matches we're talking about are impedance matches for your antenna to your feed line. For your feed line through to your transceiver. And what do you do in order to match the impedance? Why is it important? Where do you put that darn transmatch? What kind of components are really good to use? And what are ones to stay away from? How do you put it all together? We have some good photos. We're going to be focusing, for the most part, I think, on home brewing solutions. Anybody can go off and, and buy an ATU from a commercial vendor and plug it in using some of the guidance that we'll talk about here tonight. But You're probably listening here because you like to know about the technology. You're listening here on chat with the designers week after week because you want to maybe understand enough about a technology to build it on your own, to put it on your own bench. And believe it or not, there is a lot of benefit and quality and extra features and tailoring of a given device, an appliance, a project that you can do if you make it for yourself, as opposed to laying down 300 either $30 or $300 or even more than that in some cases to to buy some of this equipment that we see every day in the magazines, that we hear about talked on the lists. But if you can actually make it, I think that you'll have a sense of satisfaction and you'll have um, a piece of equipment that you've essentially tailored to exactly what you want it to be like. It might not be the prettiest thing on the bench, but it's yours and you know how it works. So tonight we're going to be going through the ATUs bit of the theory, maybe just a tad bit of the math, but probably not. We don't have that much time. Give you, as we usually do, a whole good set of references that you can use to follow up on your own. We actually point to chapters and pages of some of these things to give you some really good references that we've found over the years from experience that work really well. And if you, along the way of discussions here this evening, have a a particular success story or a particular view on a technology or technique that we're talking about we heartily encourage you to uh, to raise your hand, as it were, and, and see if you can get in on the discussions and share your information with everybody here on the list. And you post a message at the bottom of your TeamSpeak client window in a text area, or just kind of click your button a couple of times, your push-to-talk uh, key on your keyboard, in order to catch our attention and ask a question. That's what really makes this session quite lively and different than anything else that's around. And it's the interaction by you guys. So, without any further ado, what we want to do is to go through the magic, the mystery, the science, the technology, of antenna tuning units. And I, out of all of my associations and, and readings and so on, I can't think of anybody better to be speaking about this particular topic than our very own co-host here, week after week. Joe, N2CX it is a wealth of RF experience and information, and he teaches it so well along the way. So Joe, uh, with that build up, huh, I got to give it to you now, take it away.
1: Good heavens, George. <laughs> I was wondering who, you, who the heck you were talking about there. Thank you. I, uh, I know a little something about it, but uh, you make me out to be, I think, a little more than I am. By the by, before I get started, I just wanted to notice, I, I see for the first time we have a, uh, a guy who's not been on the list before, um, Terry, WA0ITP. just want to mention that uh, Terry is one of the latest inductees to the QRP Hall of Fame. Uh, he was inducted out at, at Dayton this year at the uh, four days in May uh, proceedings out there, qrp Archie. So uh, welcome, Terry. Glad to see you here. Uh, maybe you'll learn a few things. All right. Uh, let me get started here. Uh, we've called this antenna tuning units, but I've got to put on engineer hat and, and say that they're not really antenna tuning units. You're not tuning the antenna per se. You're actu- They're actually antenna matching units. They match an antenna to, uh, to the equipment you're using, which is kind of a fine point, but I've got to get my digs in there. Um, first of all, why do we need them? Well, uh, most modern rigs are designed to operate in a 50-ohm system. The transmitters are designed to put out their uh, optimum power into 50-ohms, 50 50-ohms 50 resistive. And the receivers are intended to uh, uh, get the strongest signals from a 50-ohm system. As it turns out, uh, many antennas are not inherently 50 ohms. There's some other impedance. And uh, many feed lines that we might want to use are not necessarily 50 ohms either. For example, um, the common coax we use for um, ham use is is indeed close to 50 ohms, close enough that uh, it's it's good enough. But uh, if you want a low-loss feed line and you go to something like either Twin lead or uh, open wire line, it's going to be somewhere in the area of uh, 300 to 600 ohms. So you uh, you definitely can't just hook up um, a uh, 300 or 600 ohm feed line directly to an antenna that's not 50 ohms, and then at the other end to coax it's not 50 ohms. You're going to have a lot of uh, mismatch loss. Uh, you're going to have a lot of power wasted in that's uh, not going where you want it to. Um, another another reason you'd want to use a an antenna matching unit or an ATU is if you're working with a non-resonant wire if you don't have the uh, if you don't have the freedom to uh, uh, cut a wire exactly to uh, the band you want or if you want to use it on multiple bands um, it may not be resonant so it's not going to have an impedance anywhere near 50 ohms it's going to have uh, also reactants with it so you have to cancel the reactants and transform the impedance down to 50 ohms. So you use some sort of antenna tuner to do it. So I mentioned, open wire feed line is also not 50 ohms. And uh, with various antenna configurations, if you want to use multiband. Um, getting one antenna to have uh, resonances that present a 50 ohm impedance uh, on all the bands you want to work is very very difficult. Uh, there are ways of doing it, but it's non uh, non trivial. So you you want to use a tuner to uh, to operate on more, more than one band with a particular antenna you might want. Well, and the um, the picture will have to come along. We'll be along eventually. But we had a picture of uh, an NFED wire and the impedance it uh, it uh, shows. Uh, when the thing is resonant uh, at a half wavelength, it's um, the impedance is several thousand ohms. Um, and exactly at resonance, it's resistive. <clears throat> but if you get a little bit off uh, resonance, it becomes reactive. As you go higher in frequency, it'll be uh, inductive. As you go lower in frequency, it'll be capacitive. So uh same hey, thing happens. Yeah, go ahead,
2: George.
0: I'll interrupt from time to time just to say that uh, I've updated the web page, so if anybody wanted to just update their browser, um, if you were looking at the whiteboard and you just update your uh, browser, you would uh, see the image, uh, the, the curve, the plot, figure 15.25 that Joe's referring to. And I'm catching up with some of the images t- to put on the whiteboard right now.
1: Ah, Very good. Thank you, George. Yes, I see it there now. The very thing I was speaking to about, you can see it at half wave resonance. If you're looking at the picture, as I said, it's a very high resistive impedance and um, the zero reactance at resonance, but there is reactance off frequency. Then when you go down lower in frequency to the uh, odd resonances, the impedance goes down to, it's not shown here, uh, the scale's wrong, but uh, be something like 30 ohms or so um, which is a not a bad match for um, 50 ohms but not optimum and of course as you're off resonance the uh, you get a capacitance that uh, and, and that is you get a reactive impedance that uh, you have to match out to go to 50 ohms okay now what am i matched well we generally say that at least in a 50 ohm system, um, we're matched when you, you match the design impedance of your transmitter, your transceiver, your receiver to the feed line. And uh, most things design, are designed these days for 50 ohms. So indeed we want to have uh, our antenna look like 50 ohms to the, uh, to the equipment. And uh, we usually, uh, the mismatch is is, uh, usually defined in terms of a standing wave ratio. Uh, If you're exactly 50 ohms, uh, the resulting SWR will be one-to-one. If you go off uh, being exactly matched, the SWR will increase to a higher higher number. For example, 100 ohms would be a mismatch of two-to-one, or 25 ohms would be a mismatch of two-to-one because it's a... um, the the ratio of the impedance to the nominal is uh, two to one. And most of the time, anything less than two to one is okay. Most equipment these days is designed so that it'll operate into a slight mismatch and you're not gonna lose that much power. Uh, People get wrapped around the axle about getting exactly one to one um, SWR. It's not always that important. If you get much higher than that, your power output may drop and there may be protective circuitry and equipment that will uh, reduce power. But uh, generally, anything under one-to-one is fine. Okay. Uh, now, what are some good traits for tuners? What do you want them to do uh, when you use the darn things? Well, first of all, you probably want them easy to tune. You don't want to have to have, uh, you know, a dozen switches and three or four knobs to tune to... Uh, to get the thing to match. Uh, It's nice to have as few controls as possible. And if you're building it, you want simple construction. You don't want to have something that has a whole bunch of components that uh, are big and expensive and things you can't get. Uh, So you'd like simplicity. Uh, And you want it inexpensive, whether you build it or buy it. Uh, And naturally, you want it efficient because you don't want to waste power. The whole reason you're matching in the first place is to to make uh, best use of whatever transmit power or receive power you want. Unfortunately, and I see I have a typo, the real world uh, creeps in and you have a hard time getting all these at once. So the answer is you choose any two. You made it easy to tune with simple construction, but it not, might not be inexpensive or it might not be efficient or it might be simple and efficient, but it's not in, it's not inexpensive. It costs you a bunch, so there's always some trade-offs you have to worry about. Now, the next topic is antenna or ATU configurations. Um, there are a number of uh, number of them. We'll uh, try to cover some of the uh, typical ones. Back in the uh, the boat anchors days, of uh, yeah, go ahead, Sam. Sam and NV1P you had a question. Okay. Nothing's okay, nothing. coming. Nothing's coming through. I suspect you have Vox on. Recommend you go over to push to talk, or uh, you'll be jamming us here. No,pe you're not making it, Sam. But I hear my voice coming through, which makes it sound like you have Vox on. The original um, boat anchor transmitters, the tube transmitters, didn't need antenna tuners. Um, they, uh, a lot of the times, they built the matching circuits directly into the, uh, the final uh, tuning circuits. The, the uh, tune circuits that uh, uh, put them on the band they wanted to be on, uh, either link coupling to um, um, open wire lines or some sort of uh, taps on the final coil or uh, some combination of taps and uh, series capacitors so that um, you could tune the antenna directly at the rig. Um, and as as things got into the, um, the post-World War II era, um, many rigs tended to have uh, pi network uh, output circuits, which um, allowed you to both resonate the finals to get the power you wanted and to match directly to the antenna. But uh, as we got into solid state rigs, um, people wanted simplicity, they just wanted to plug it in and it would play, plug and play. So the solid state rigs were designed for no tune operation. They were designed to drive 50 ohms directly. So that uh, what this meant was you either had to have a 50 ohm antenna or you had to have some sort of matching, external matching network to, to operate properly. Uh, You know, with uh, simplicity comes complexity sometimes. It's uh, one of the trade-offs. Now, um, let me just uh, break for a second and see if anyone has any questions. covered a fair amount of ground here. And uh, let me see if anybody needs clarification or doesn't understand something I said or might have another thought. Uh, Go ahead and give me a break if so. Okay, nothing seen. Very good. I'll continue on. Um, Okay. Go ahead, George. Right.
0: Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, well, first, if everybody, once again, I think it should be the last time you need to, just uh, refresh your browser, you know, either F5 or hit the uh, <clears throat> hit the return up in the browser window again. You should see all of the images or most of the images in the proper locations that Joe's referring to. So I don't think I'm caught up with everything on the web page. But, Joe, a question for you. I think there are a lot of questions. Maybe this might be a little bit orthogonal. But, um, in general, um, is there any, is there any benefit to buying a, um, an ATU as opposed to making one? Now, the reason I say it in that way is that, is there anything that, uh, that we as homebrewing hams cannot achieve kind of along the lines of all the different configurations that you've been talking about and so on, um, that cannot be achieved, um, you know or that is achieved better let's say with a commercial unit that you'd have to lay down a bunch of bugs now obviously the answer is going to be along the lines of sure you can, you can build anything you want but my point here is can you comment on the relative complexity um the difficulty of uh, uh construction and so on uh, do you have to put atus inside of a metal cabinet any kind of a cabinet at all can you make a wooden type of enclosure just you have it laying out on a bench? I mean, give us some feel for the homebrewing type of perspectives that uh, uh, one can bring to ATU uh, projects.
1: Okay. well, oh, boy, that could be a topic uh, all in itself. Uh, generally speaking, uh, simple ATUs you can build yourself. Um, most of the things that the um, homebrewers would want to do, uh, particularly QRPers, um, don't don't require um, big components. we're not dealing with really high currents generally speaking and not dealing with high voltages if um, if you're trying to build a, a kilowatt matchbox, you're really going to have to worry about um, particularly the capacitors having uh, high high voltage uh, uh, characteristics. Um, you know, they're going to be multi-KVs. So those tend to be big and expensive. You'll have to worry quite a bit about insulation. Use um, ceramic feed-throughs to uh, perhaps to run uh, feed lines through the, uh, the feed wires through the case. And indeed, um, in order to get the uh, uh, high-power operation you want, you're probably going to have to go to some sort of uh, air cord coil either a rotary inductor which is not strictly speaking air cord it's ceramic cord or you're going to have to go to some sort of uh, something like a large mini-ductor or a uh, something indeed uh, perhaps large metal tubing Um, and that would be an air air wound inductor um, which has some other some other interesting things to it um, in order to keep the loss low with inductors like that, you, you have to space them at least a coil diameter away from metal cases. So if you have a metal case, um, you know and you have a, a coil that's three inches in diameter, that's going to mean that uh, you're going to need a case thats least six inches in its, or nine inches in its smallest smallest dimension to uh, keep the losses in the coil low. Uh, If you're going uh, QRP, lower power, say less than 100 watts, you can probably use a large toroidal inductor. Um, There'll be a reasonable Q. There'll be a Q between probably 100 and 200, Um, probably adequate for most antenna tuners, and you don't have to worry so much about um, uh, high current operation with them or about spacing it from the metal. Similarly, the tuning caps you're going to use for lower power operation can be um, those rated for only a couple hundred volts. Uh, many people for QRP and, and uh, up to 50 watts or so use the uh, broadcast air variables, 365 picofarads or so, get away with them quite well. But um, for the simpler simpler ATUs, um, quite often you can get away with the smaller components. You don't have to worry about uh, <laughs> I'll comment on that in a second, Alan. Um, we don't have to worry about um, the cabinetry, and you don't have to worry too much about uh, the uh, critical spacing from uh, the metalwork. And indeed, uh, you know, you can pretty the box up as uh, as best you want. Unfortunately, um, I tend to make things work well that don't look so good. So um, if... You know if i want something really really looks good i'm probably gonna have to buy a commercial unit i i see in the uh, in the uh comments here alan w2aew says that kind of coil to space uh to case spacing is not common in store-bought tuners due to and i guess uh, he's probably going to say economics indeed that's true uh, due to cost yeah um i have some some um Relevant experience there I'll get on a, a little side tagger. I once worked on an LF um, transmission system, comM system for the Air Force. Uh, we had inductors that were three feet in diameter and about four feet long. Um, with um, indu- One inductor had a queue of 250 um, microhenries, the other had a, uh, an inductance of a millihenry. We had to put them in an enclosure that was 12 feet tall in order to keep the uh, Q of the, the coils high enough. They had an unloaded Q of something over a thousand, but uh, keeping those one coil diameter uh, uh, rules of thumb in mind, we were able to keep the Qs up to 900. But indeed, when we tried to use a smaller enclosure uh, and go to less than coil diameter, those air coils air core coils got very very inefficient so those are some of the things you have to worry about Um, now some common types of ATUs Um, one of my favorites one of the early ones I got when I was licensed back in the 60s was a Johnson matchbox Uh, if you look on the whiteboard there is a picture of a Johnson Viking matchbox that's a goodie Uh, had a couple dials to it it was kind of a you know Kind of a twiddler's uh, joy that way. But it was a, uh, it was a, a very, very good design. It had uh, link-coupled balance tuning inside. And if you look on the whiteboard below the uh, picture of it, there's this internal schematic. It was basically one big tune circuit, link-coupled big tune circuit, with um, a 50-ohm input link-coupled to the coil. The coil was um, switched with a, a band switch in there for the different bands. And then there were several sets of tuning capacitors. There was one capacitor, a um, a split-static capacitor to uh, tune the inductor to resonance. And then there were um, several other capacitors, gang, four-gang capacitor, differential capacitor, that uh, was tapped, um, tapped in the sense that two two sets were in series Uh, so that as you varied them, they varied the the effect of coupling between this tuned circuit and the antenna so that uh, uh, you could do the impedance matching. Then, of course, the the main capacitor would resonate it. The beauty of this was that uh, having this all balanced operation above ground meant that it was entirely balanced. You could could feed balanced wire uh, uh, open wire and it would maintain perfect balance. You wouldn't get the imbalance currents in the, uh, in the feed line. Uh, and if you just fed one side to ground, you could use it with an unbalanced uh, thing such as a, a single wire or a coax. Very, very good design. It, um, it, uh, they, they go for a pretty penny these days, but um, indeed they've been the ham standard for a lot of years. People still go to them. A little long in the tooth now. They don't. Uh, they don't match everything, and they don't operate on the work bands. But they're still very good. um Any of you out there um, remember the uh, Johnson matchbox with uh,
0: fond memories? I do, and I have. I have the junior. I think it's it's a smaller version, which you showed there, Joe, on the web page. I think was the uh the higher power unit. I have the smaller one stacked up over in a corner, on its way. Uh, Toward refurbishing and getting onto the uh, boat anchor bench, um, but and I suspect its uh, topology is the same as this one.
1: Yeah, it's uh, basically the same, just higher power uh, components in the, in the, in the junior. The junior I think it was rated at uh, like uh, two hundred fifty watts, and the uh, the big uh, the big mama was rated at a kilowatt, and it would definitely handle a kilowatt. Um, we're probably not going to have time to get to it, but in some of the references at the end of the white page, there is some uh, discussion of some QST reviews of some of the high-powered tuners and uh, how that uh, some of them have some handicaps when you're trying to handle real power. The uh, the Johnson uh, matchbox was designed to handle a full kilowatt and uh, have a little margin for uh, margin for error there. It's big, and uh, it's uh, <laughs> a lot of knobs to tune, but uh, some joy to it. A little bit of nostalgia along the way. Um, something that was developed at uh, AWRL was called the Ultimate Transmatch. Um, it had a uh,
0: not hey, exactly.
1: Yeah, go ahead, George.
0: Sorry to interrupt, but Sam posted a question on the on the white on, on the text section that was relative to the trans. Uh, um, to the Johnson Matchbox, and I thought it's probably good to touch on it before we forget it. Can you see his question there?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure a roller inductor would be suitable because the taps have to be symmetrically spaced around it. But, indeed, one could uh, put in uh, another rotary switch and uh, pick the appropriate taps to use on the mark bands. Yeah. yeah, and that that would be uh, a worthwhile uh, worthwhile thing to do,
0: indeed. Yeah, Pete, go ahead.
3: Uh, yeah, there are a couple of mods that have come out for these things <laughs> over the over, over the years. And um, one of the ways to get them on the work... First of all, in, in my case, in, in past years, it's worked on some of the work bands, and it depends upon all those uh, complex variables of antennas and so forth. But um, there have been a couple of mods, uh, first of all, uh, to get them on 160. Supposedly, you just uh, use a pair of 400 uh, picofarad capacitors at uh, the uh, far ends of the coil the the top and bottom of the coil to ground and then it will work i haven't tried that the more common mod is to put a series capacitor in series with the input uh, coaxial connector uh, and that will tune the input coil and that will uh, significantly increase the range of these things
1: ah very good info yeah yeah i've uh, i don't have personal experience with that but yeah yeah that's a real good idea and indeed uh, adding that uh, series capacitor to the uh, input link is a very good idea to extend the tuning range the one knock has been uh, on the on the batch box uh, and i've run into it is that um, on the the high and low bands uh, when you're trying to operate into real high or real low impedances there's not quite enough matching range but um, if you could extend that with some Simple mods, that'd be a very good thing to do, indeed.
3: Thank um, the uh, the capacitor was part of a very similar matchbox sold in Germany by a man or a company called Anarchy, and uh, you, you're you on your own trying to spell that, but uh, the Anarchy matchbox uh, was a low, relatively low-power matchbox, but with that and a few other improvements, but the same basic idea. You can, right, you can find uh, stuff about that on the web including uh what's his name down in uh, the 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 guy the the famous antenna designer who passed away a few years ago um i can't think of his name or call letters right now but uh you can get it through the antennax website
1: yeah w4rnl
3: yes right
1: lbcbc yeah indeed i'll have to i'll have to look into that and increase my knowledge along those ways in fact maybe uh, George and I can mod his box a bit too Um uh, ARRL along the way um, tried to come up with what they call the ultimate trans match um, there's a schematic of it in the uh, not going to go into a lot of depth schematic of it in the uh, in the whiteboard uh, relatively simple operation they tried to make it a, a simple multi-band wide-range tuner uh, It was very popular and uh, to some extent it meant it met many of the criteria although there has been there have been some knocks on it and indeed um, there's some references at the end by um, frank witt uh, in qst where he actually evaluated the that ultimate trans match a number of other um, tuners and found it to be uh, somewhat deficient in matching range and um, in some cases, uh, inefficient in terms of uh, passing power through it. Um, and there's also a, a diagram on the whiteboard of some other configurations for something like the, uh, the ultimate transmatch to uh, try to get some, uh, some wider tuning range and, and some better uh, matching with uh, different uh, antenna impedances. Um, the one knock uh, it has, uh, as many tuners do, Um, It used a ballon for uh, operating with the balanced lines. And uh, I'll I'll just say a few words on that. If you're working with a resonant antenna and you know what the impedance is, you can do that quite effectively. But if you have random impedances that include a lot of reactants, putting a ballon in there is going to to kill the efficiency very, very quickly. That's uh, one of the facts of life. another tuner that's very popular for lower power applications um TenTec not TenTec um MFJ among others uses a, a, a variation of the T tuner and there's a schematic in the uh, the whiteboard of uh St. Louis uh, tuner which is in uh, uh, in its basis a, a T type tuner it has um two variable two sets of variable capacitors one on the input side from 50 ohms one on the output side to the antenna um, connected in series and then from the middle uh, midpoint where those two are connected there's an inductor to ground so by changing the inductor inductance and by tuning those capacitors you can match a wide range of impedances it's pretty effective at doing this Um, again it's a um um, a single, uh, it's an uh, unbalanced tuner, requires a uh, toroid to operate balanced. And you have to be very careful with it um, to have the maximum inductance and the, I think it's maximum inductance and minimum output tuning capacitance. There, it, it has um, multiple resonant points, multiple points where you get low SWR. Um, many of them are, valid with the antenna but some of them uh you're just tuning the uh, the internal components um, to resonance and uh, you're going to end up burning up components and not putting antenna not putting rf out out the to your antenna so uh, it's simple but uh, it has to be used with care and it also tends not to be as efficient as some other Uh, configurations it's not bad but uh, it's 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 uh, not among the more efficient types Um, type of tuner that is is uh, very good and we don't have the don't have the picture in the uh, unfortunately in the uh, whiteboard but uh, it's an L type tuner the L type tuner has a, a single inductor in series between the um, the input coax and the output and a um, a variable capacitor now by varying the the inductor uh, value with taps or multiple inductors and by uh, adjusting a capacitor you can match it over a very wide input range if if you're trying to match something that has an impedance greater than fifty ohms the capacitor goes on the output side of the inductor On the antenna side if you're trying to match something that uh, is less than 50 ohms the capacitor goes on the uh, on the 50 ohm side of the uh, the inductor it's very very versatile now it takes a little bit of a little bit of uh, knowledge of how it works and uh, playing with the exact values to get it to tune but it does have a very wide tuning range it it's uh, relatively simple uh, simple components, inexpensive components, and it can be um, um, it it can get the uh, ultimate efficiency in an unbalanced tuner. Again, it's unbalanced, so you need a balun or something else to uh, to bring it to a resonance. Um, side note: many of the high power tuners use this configuration, and basically all of the uh, automatic antenna tuners use this because uh, if you only have to twiddle with basically two components it's uh it's much easier to write an optimization algorithm to get it to tune um so it's a very very common configuration the inductor in the high power units is generally a roller inductor where they vary the inductance with a, a roller along, a slide roller and uh, rotate the the actual inductor itself in the less expensive uh, uh, l tuners be they automatic or uh, manual uh, they switch in various inductors or have a tapped inductor very simple um, very good for uh, home brewing and uh, it it can be used by the way for anything from a random wire to uh, trying to broadband a uh, uh, like an 80 meter antenna to cover the whole band or indeed uh, it can be used with an NFED half-wave antenna, which has a very high impedance. It's a good one. And yes, Terry, the, the L-tuner does have only one combination values for a given antenna uh, at a given frequency. It's not, uh, it do, it doesn't have the uh, confusion factors that the T-tuner does. Um, any questions about the, uh, the tuner stuff I've uh, discussed so far?
0: Joe, I just put the L-tuner, I mean, an L configuration up there real fast. Is that kind of uh, what you were speaking of? I didn't have an appropriate figure queued up, but I just did a quick search, and I think this is what you were referring to. Essentially, um, adjusting the L uh, would get the uh, tunability of it, right?
1: Yeah, that's the configuration. Yeah, what's on the whiteboard has an input with a capacitor to ground and... uh, Uh, an inductor in series from the input to the output that would be the configuration where the uh, the output impedance you were trying to match an impedance that was less than 50 ohms if you're trying to do it the other way around the capacitor would just go on the other other side of the inductor and indeed you uh, uh, it can be done empirically you know you you put the capacitor on one side you tweak l and c see if you can get it to resonate if you can't do that you the capacitor on the other side of the coil and tweak till you get it to work that is uh, or yeah uh, alan says or you reverse input and output which is fine if you're using coax connectors but uh, if you're not (laughs) it can be awkward Um, very good configuration very very uh, versatile and uh, simple and efficient as well um any other discussion uh, particularly on the l tuner
0: maybe maybe not on the l tuner but on the st louis tuner i remember i was searching for a picture of it real quick like here but i couldn't find it and this was featured the st louis tuner was uh, featured in qrpp magazine one of the older time smaller magazines that uh, we had in the qrp community some 10 15 years ago and um if you recall, and you can see from the schematic that there's just a ton of switches, and that box looked like a looked like a, a, a master control panel's dream, I guess, with so many switches on there, and uh, it looked like it was a fun project to build. But I, I wondered often about the efficiency. I think you touched a little bit on that too, Joe. But uh, constructing that one was. Uh, was kind of a fun thing, especially when the box got smaller and smaller and you had to fit all those little toggle switches in.
1: Indeed, yeah, actually I built one and uh, used it for quite a while not knowing how inefficient it was. I don't have the good reference, but I know that um, someone, and and, uh, the call, AE4IC comes to mind, someone actually did an evaluation of it and found out that um, it may have as much as 2 dB loss, even with some common configurations. But it was a homebrewer's uh, joy. It was a lot of fun, uh, reasonably good manual. And uh, I think the darn thing only cost about 50 bucks per kit. As I say, I used it for a couple of years
0: before I knew it, it
1: wasn't very efficient. I didn't know the difference.
0: This, just a second, Pete, then I'll turn it over to you. Um, this brings up something that I wanted to mention several times along the way. Um, As far as reference material is concerned, the AWRL has some good publications, an entire series of antenna um, handbooks. And in some of them, they cover ATUs and the matching aspects of uh, uh, impedance along transmission lines and antennas fairly well. Unfortunately, and I don't want to be too unkind, but just unfortunately, at least the, the current version of the ARRL handbook is is quite lacking in some of the detail of um, What we're talking about here this evening specifically in fact what we have in our whiteboard is is quite uh, um, Quite a good overview compared to what's in the handbook on the other hand uh, the RSGB uh, Handbook um, I think I have the name there right this reference at the bottom is just an outstanding technical resource when you're looking for technical detail And thorough coverage of the topic at least this topic here and uh, I pulled a couple of uh, diagrams from that and attributed through the uh, footnotes but still um, if you want a really good reference um, on antennas and especially on impedance matching and trans matches and so on either get the RSGB handbook or the ARRL series on antennas and I think you'll be really well off Um, Pete go ahead
3: Yeah, one of the issues with L uh, uh, networks that surprised me when I built it, and of course that's the fun of homebrewing, is something always uh, gets you that you didn't expect, is if you try to make a wide-range antenna tuner, you wind up with a capacitor that has a fairly large amount of capacitance, and then you discover that it doesn't have... Uh, minimum capacitance that is low enough for the system to work correctly, which is one reason why you wind up with bunches of switches and uh, switching capacitors in parallel like the St. Louis uh, tuner schematic. But uh, what I wound up doing in in the case of the antenna tuner that I'm using now that's homebrew is uh, just using two variable capacitors in series with each other in order to reduce the minimum capacitance.
1: Indeed, one of the other things you can do is to um, use the use a multi-switch to have them either in series to get the minimum capacitance or in parallel to uh, to uh, increase the maximum c
3: also a very good thing to check on efficiency without complicated the stuff is just an antenna ammeter, meter which has sort of fallen out of favor and mm-hmm. that might that be an, might idea, be an for idea for, idea a, kid for a, kid a kid if you guys if you want, want to put one together for especially for uh, balanced lines
0: Antenna, could you say that again? Antenna um Ammeter. M uh, A M M E T E R.
3: Ammeter, as in measuring the amperes of current through the antenna wire.
0: Okay. That's a new one on me. Um I I wasn't aware of that.
3: Well the old the old ones, pre you know, World War II and previous were uh, yeah, a thermocouple type band meters, but now we have much better. And in fact, the MFJ has a bunch of them at the, you know, with the usual MFJ cost and quality.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, Dave, uh, Dave Ottenberg, you had a question.
2: Yeah. Uh, I uh, uh, went to uh, AA5TB uh, website, and I built a parallel uh, uh, antenna tuner
4: with a toroid and a a coil and about a hundred puff cap and I use it for long wire antenna on 20 and 40 meters. Uh, If you're interested in an amateur, George, I can ship you one. I have the old thermocouple type uh, which I used years and years ago Uh, but uh, uh, I find that the parallel tune one uh, for QRP
2: worked out very well.
0: That's interesting, Dave. Um, maybe you could just bring it to the next time that we have um, a club uh, lunch or something up there in uh, in the Brooklawn area, and we can take a peek at it and chat about it. Sounds really interesting. Um, did somebody else have a question in here? Seeing none, just a sidelight, the rainbow tuner was
1: need, one of the parallel tune circuit uh, tuners.
0: Aha. Joe, are you going to, you know something we forgot to do, Um, the ZM2, the ZM2 was very, very popular, and I mean by you especially, I think you really enjoyed that, and I I still have um, one and another one that's unbuilt, that's uh, very popular for uh, taking to the field, do you want to comment on that, Joe? Shucks, I was going to let you
1: do the Z tuners, uh, yeah. yeah, the ZM2 was good, Uh by tech Research out in uh, Oregon, I believe. Yeah, it was a, a Z-Match tuner uh, built in a, a reasonably small uh, bakelite case with um, a couple polycaps, uh, a reasonably large toroid, and uh, um, several windings on it, um, one low-impedance winding and one high-impedance winding, um, using the uh, so-called uh, Z-Match um, configuration. Uh, It was a good compromise for 80 through 10. And in fact, I've used the darn thing even with the NFED half-wave antennas. Um, Good good thing. Um, Why don't you pick up on uh, um, Z-Match tuners, George? And uh, indeed, the uh, QRP Kits BLT Plus is similar to that uh, ZM2, although it doesn't have as uh, wide a tuning range.
0: Oh right, I'm, I'm. I was just very quickly trying to get the, the photograph of the ZM2. Anyways, if you get a, if you go to your browser and just do a search on ZM two, you'll see this. Uh, what we're speaking about here, and it is really quite a popular, and flexible uh, type of um, design, and it's easy to build. Joe mentioned uh, the poly caps. They're the ones that we've used from time to time in our projects. And of course, uh, kind of kind of um Joe, what's the poly what's the full name for the poly? Polyvericon?
1: Yeah, that's actually kind of a trade name, but that's what they've been known as as polyvericons, right?
0: Okay, so the, the polyvericons are the kind of that you've seen, we don't have any photographs in here of it, unfortunately. I'll maybe I'll add that later on. But um they're good for QRP use, but of course with the spacing, um and, and the higher voltage, it comes along with higher power. You run, you you can't really use them at the at some of the upper range. But uh, the Z-match um, antenna tuner that we have posted on the on the whiteboard is another one that can indeed use those polyvericons. And the photograph I forgot uh, whose photo I need to attribute that, but it was a project. Actually, it was a project that I found in the web page, and then I, later on I found in the AWRL handbook. So it. Um, that particular one made it to uh, made it to the publication it's an easy one to construct um, fun to use and it can handle both balanced and um, unbalanced standard uh, standard coax and um, it offers a um, some accessories that are that are kind of fun to add into some of these antenna tuning units that we do accessorize your ATU as it were and um, the most popular approach is to add an SWR circuit, perhaps for obvious reasons, but it's it's, it's really quite useful, and as SWR circuits can come in any size and shape and, and form. We have a photograph, I think, of uh, the op- an optical one a little bit later on, an optical SWR bridge um, which of course is just uh, taking the forward and reverse voltages and then feeding them through respective uh, LEDs. Maybe one is red and one is green or, um, sometimes just using the, um, uh, put in the SW, uh, putting the reverse voltage into a single LED that gets uh, on the front panel and you would tune the, um, uh, the transmatch for minimum reverse, um, Signal, of course, and then that would be the uh, the LED would extinguish. So you tune for a dip in that particular um, method. Other times you can put a meter circuit in there, of course, and and have a traditional type of forward and reverse indication. You can get fancy and put a cross, what do you call it, cross cross needle um, meter of some sort that uh, gives you additional information. But generally for QRP and homebrewing, simpler is better, of course and LEDs are good. Now there's a bit of a challenge when um, using simple uh, optical SWR circuits like we've shown here because you need enough of a signal in order to turn the LED on. If you want to get more sensitive operation or operate uh, being able to measure and tune with lower power um, you would um, want to amplify the forward and reverse signals such that uh, the LEDs are able to turn on even in the presence of very small signals and uh, again it's just a a matter of preference Uh, what you have in a a junk box of course from time to time is is what guides a lot a lot of us in our construction techniques. Somebody mentioned uh, also a bit about uh, plastic boxes versus metal boxes or at least a question about them and Joe you can correct me um, if I step out of line here but I think in general it really doesn't matter too much as long as um, you minimize the interaction of other components and other things there on your bench from the uh, the matching circuits so if you have sufficient distance away from a uh, your tuning um, capacitors for example you would have uh, you would not you would have you would not have a problem if you were to be using a plastic case Maybe something as big as uh, well. I'm sitting here looking at a, my uh, H. Um, what is this? An HB10, uh, re- you know, standard type of uh, receiver box. But it's something as big as that, or something as small as as uh, the trans uh, as the Z-match tuner we have pictured on the page, or even the one that we're referring to, which is the uh, the ZM2, which is even smaller yet. It's it's on the order of maybe four inches by six inches by three inches deep. So it's really not too much. The whole idea is just to keep your components um, from being affected by other chunks of metal or other RF fields that might be nearby. So you could have it sitting out on an open breadboard, for that matter. Uh, Joe mentioned that as well. As long as you don't have anything that's really going to affect um, characteristic impedance, uh, this the uh, the RF signals that are being tuned right there in the on that breadboard, you won't have any problems. Many guys just put them in metal cases because they're more durable, and they look cooler, along with the other kinds of metal uh, radios and such that we have. And in fact, talking about cool factor, if you wanted to dial down, okay, I can't I can't dial on the whiteboard and press the PTT switch at the same time. Um, so if you want to dial down to just above the references section at the bottom toward the bottom of the page you'll see um, a big old trans match i believe well first of all this is mine um, this is one of the ones that did make the transition into the shack for refurbishing and and uh making making that uh work right and uh, i have it sitting there on the floor with my coffee cup kind of next to it maybe not that much of a size a good size reference but you can this is a big this is a big mama takes, uh, two hands, a good straight back and some deep knee bends to pick that up and move it around. Good friend, Bob Applegate, um, K2UT in the New Jersey club gave that thing to me. He had it in his shack for years and I was over at his shack one time admiring it. And he remembered it when it was time to get rid of it. And he gave me a call and I came and picked it up <laughs> carefully. Um, another, uh, Another, uh, it's kind of a good indication or good reference for the kinds of capacitors and the kind of construction that comes along with the big heavy duty ones. I have, um, I have some high powered stuff that I'm, I'm working on getting online here in the shack. I know, gasp. But, um, nonetheless, I need to have a good transmatch for that. And this is, uh, indeed going to serve the purpose there. Uh, another good friend, Dave Ottenberg, also online here. Uh, has over the years been feeding me um, roller inductors and big old wide spaced caps like what you see here, because he knows my penchant for ATUs and and uh, handling some of the higher power that that comes along with these. And you don't have it, even though this looks like it. Uh, well, it looks like it maybe had a little bit more power go through it than it should have, but. Um, you can operate small signals with these big old transmatches too. Of course, it might not be entirely obvious, but it is. uh um, it works just the fine at low levels. And in fact, and one might even argue that it's even more efficient because of that. Uh, uh, what do you think about that, Joe? Is is a large, is a large well, you know, well spaced uh, transmatch such as we're showing here, more efficient? or less efficient, or really doesn't really matter if you go lower in power.
2: <laughs> go ahead. That's right.
0: Um, are you, I'm not hearing anything. Are you hearing something? Yes, he's there, George. I
2: don't
0: know if George does, but I do, Norm. You talked about the
4: uh, the LED used as an SWR indicator, <clears throat> which is a great, interesting idea. But my question is, I have a quite confusing with toroids and frequency response. Now, uh, I guess, is there any particular toroid color or uh, permeability that you should use for the SWR? Or uh, you know, basically, that's my question, like because you got to get enough signal uh into that uh uh rectifier circuit to light the LED
1: what i'd recommend norm uh, i i put a note in in here um n7ve dan talo has designed the uh, talo um, SWR meter which uses a resistive bridge and it uses a toroidal transformer to up the voltage to get the LED to light with uh, um with low power Off the top of my head, it's an FT-3743 or an FT-5043. It's 43 uh, core material, uh, 0.37 inches for the transformer. What I'd recommend is do a search for um, N7VE SWR meter on the web, and uh, you should find several examples of it. If you can't find it, drop me an email, and um, I'll send, send the info to you. But uh, they are good over the HF band, at any rate, from three to thirty megahertz, and work quite
2: well.
4: Okay, but this, I, I, I think I've seen that site before. Uh, the other thing is too, of course, that's a small toroid, so it won't handle much power, probably for QRP. But what if you uh, want to get a bigger, uh, a bigger toroid for, let's say, a hundred watts?
1: Well, okay, the the uh, particular SWR meters I was talking about. The, uh, the core there is used for the SWR, uh, used to get to up the voltage for, um, uh, for the LED. It uses a resistive uh, SWR bridge um, and the resistors have to, uh, have to dissipate the power. Um, cores for, um, actually I believe ARRL handbook probably does have some reasonable uh, schematics for uh, higher power. Um, SWR bridges that use either toroidal or uh, binocular cores. Um, most of what we're talking about here is lower power though.
4: Yeah, I appreciate that. I just was asking a question generally, but okay, the other question I have too is, is uh, I guess it's along the same topic, is that how do you test the toroid to see if uh, you could, uh, it'll conduct uh, uh, or will transfer properly at uh, the frequency- you know in the h f band i mean they come in different colors uh i I volunteer at a at a, a, a consumer place and I pick up all sorts of surplus toroids that are switching to power supplies and all sorts of things and I figure God, these might be handy, but i don 't know for the, what frequency range you' handle
1: yeah the the uh switching toroids generally are not good for r f they uh, they don't have the uh characteristics you want. Uh, to handle linear signals, uh, indeed they're used. To, they have uh, they use the the variable permeability with the current through them to switch. Um, so generally, they're not that much good for uh, for RF usage. Um, the general toroids one uses are uh, from Amidon or some other uh, distributors um, that have either red or yellow cores, generally for HF and um, a variety of sizes. Um, but generally the, the surplus cores um, <laughs> don't have a lot of utility for RF, unfortunately.
4: Yeah, okay, I think you you said something interesting, red and yellow cores, that's what I should be looking for. Okay, we'll carry on uh, guys, we'll be monitoring here and uh, now that we've finally got this thing dialed up and we can get here at, uh, at the appropriate time. I keep missing it on the Tuesday night, but uh, Sounds interesting. Thanks very much.
1: Glad you can make it. Uh George, I believe you were about to say something.
0: I'm not really sure what that was, Joe. Um maybe just wrapping up on the SWR indications, there's another circuit um, on the whiteboard that shows a thir- LM3914, which is a popular kind of a kind of a, a nice way to get a bar graph reading of your SWR. So you I would imagine you put um you would put your reverse voltage into there, and then ultimately have that be the method by which you uh, you dip uh, when tuned into a resonance point. You want to tune to a minimum SW a minimum SWR, which is going to be a minimum of your res- your um, reverse signal, and that's what uh, you use. So that that whiteboard indication is is a good uh, a good thing to be adding to some of your homebrew circuits too. There are other types of bells and whistles that you can add to the uh, trans matches. Uh, you can get some. You can make some fancy front panels. You can make some uh, really good uh, um, other types of meters on on the front panel. Go ahead, Joe.
1: Yeah, I uh, I have several more topics. I'm just going to gloss over them very briefly, not going to depth because we're pushing it time-wise. Um. One of the other things I wanted to mention was losses in tuners. Um, in general, you try to keep the the loss in a tuner, if you can, to no more than uh, 10% of the power, which is about a half dB. Um, and in general, losses increase um, in a tuner the farther you get from having a 50-ohm load. So the extremes of SWR, once you get below, um, once you get more than 10 to 1 SWR or so, the losses tend to increase uh, greatly. And indeed, as I mentioned earlier, balance can be okay in resonant systems where you know the impedance, but as you you get farther and farther from the impedance they were designed for, they become lossy. And uh, indeed, uh, they can be very high if you have reactive loads, which quite often you do with uh, random antennas or open wire fed antennas. Um, and finally, uh, uh, there are a number of antennas uh, that are sold that uh, are something like a 30-foot uh, vertical antenna, doesn't need a ground, has a 9-to-1 balun at the base, and it works over HF very good. Well, no. The uh, 9-to-1 balun at the base of that antenna is nothing but a, uh, another name for a big loss of resistor. So you're wasting most of your power. In that um, toroidal transformer, and uh, you're not radiating it. Um, there is some there are some references for QST by uh, uh, Frank Witt A I one H in the uh, QST and QEX. I recommend you read if you want to see how to measure or to evaluate uh, losses in your tuner. Uh, some very good stuff, very good information, and and some guidelines on how to do it. And there are also a couple references in there on doing antenna comparison measurements. Now you can turn that around and use the same techniques of sending a signal from one antenna to another, monitor over a short range, monitoring the received signal. And you can compare tuners. You use the same antenna, try different tuners in there and compare the results. So you get some relative idea of how efficient uh, the tuners are if you want to compare several of them. And the very final topic I want to mention is uh, uh, Cecil, W6RCA, said, my antenna don't need no stinking tuner. He came up with a configuration of a uh, 130 foot center fed dipole that he fed with open wire line. And by switching in various lengths of feed line, he was able to transform the impedance from uh, whatever high or low react- resistance and reactance he had and to transform it to, so that it was very, very close to 50 ohms. Um, and used he used a, uh, a, a ferrite bead ballon on his coaxial feed line to, um, uh, to act as a choke to do the balanced, unbalanced uh, transformation. There is a link in the references if you want to look that up on the um, um, Internet Archive. Very interesting configuration, if you don't mind uh, uh, having a bunch of switches and some various lengths of feed line around, so you don't even need a tuner. Uh, with that, back to you, George.
4: Go ahead, Yeah, <laughs> along that same topic, I saw an interesting article in an old issue of QST where they used, uh, uh, par- uh, I don't know if it was parallel or coax feed, but basically the antenna was a folded dipole, on a set of pulleys. And what you basically did is you moved the antenna back and forth from in SWR and what are you doing? Of course you're just moving your feed point to a low uh SW, to a low uh to a node on your uh, SWR curve.
1: Indeed, that's a true Armstrong antenna tuner. Very good.
4: Yeah that that found it interesting. I wonder if many people would understand how it would work, but uh, and I've seen that article you're talking about, but Pretty, pretty difficult to tune that uh, antenna with all those switches if it's up twenty-five feet.
1: Well, you have the switches down, down in your shack, and you just have lengths of open wire line going all over the place.
4: Okay, to each his so. own. Anyway, thanks very much. Oh, another quick one. You made a comment about testing the, the, uh, the tuners for efficiency. Do you want to just run that past me again?
1: Yeah, it's uh There is a method for tuning them. Uh, testing them for efficiency using a uh, an antenna analyzer uh, and a certain type of uh, uh, resistive load box. Um, I'd, what I'd recommend is you look at the references at the end of our white page uh, uh, and and check out the uh, check out the QSD references. There are three articles in there on exactly how to do that, so that you can determine the efficiency of uh, of your tuner.
4: Sounds good. Thank you.
1: Welcome. Go ahead,
0: George. All right. I just wanted to make one comment and then we'll wrap it up here. Um and it, maybe it's the obvious, and maybe you've mentioned it all along here, but it kind of comes along the line of uh um, what uh W6RCA had as far as no tune, you didn't need any kind of a tuner. If you happen to have a multi band antenna, a multi pan trapped vertical or otherwise a uh um, an antenna that is just made to be resonant at simultaneously at all the different ham bands. You don't need, you generally don't need to have an ATU for it. I don't have one here on mine and, and this makes uh, operation that much simpler and, um, easier and less tuning and setup necessary when changing bands and so on. Mainly because the signal that you're transmitting is resonant in the antenna that, um, uh, uh, in in the band that the antenna is made to serve on, so there's really you get the required SWR low SWR um, that you need there. So um, okay, uh, let's 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 do a final final round for uh, questions, and then we'll just wrap it up. Um, any any questions that maybe you've had kind of queued up here and didn't get a chance to ask? Go ahead. Okay, Sam, okay, you got Sam, the, you you the, you got it. Go ahead.
4: It. Go ahead. All right. Uh, um, my audio coming through.
0: Norm, kind of. Norm, Norm, can you Norm. take your hand off the PTT? Thanks. Go ahead, uh, Sam. All right. Um, I
4: know this is going to be kind of uh, tangential to the discussion. Um, but I was looking at figure four, or fourteen, fifteen, twenty-five. Um. And at half-wave, it's uh, about 5K. I know that on old rigs, um, that's somewhere around the plate impedance or plate resistance. If you took out the pine network on one of those old rigs and hooked it up directly to a half-wave antenna, would that actually work?
1: It'd work, but if there were any other um, harmonics or whatever they'd play it, uh, on on there they would be matched as well because it'd be a high impedance at all the uh the even harmonics
4: ah uh, right that was the uh secondary reason for a pi network okay thank you no
1: problem
0: yeah okay Pete go right. ahead
3: yeah that's that's what they used to do in the old days they used to just put a capacitor from the plate of the final to uh the antenna and the other end was the antenna and it it got out great on uh, you know zillions of frequencies uh, uh, Norm earlier mentioned the uh, gentleman who wrote up the article on uh, adjusting the folded dipole type thing. It really isn 't a folded well sort of the it 's a uh, a dipole with with pulleys on on both ends. The guy who wrote that is the same guy who uh, owns the Miracle antenna company, and I was a member of a ham club in uh, Vermont. That uh, and I invited him to drive down from Montreal to demonstrate it and to demonstrate his other his other products. And it was it was a lot of fun. He's a neat he's a neat guy and very very knowledgeable in these things. Uh, but and and it's it's actually a clever a clever scheme for those who can uh, who can set it up.
0: Go ahead, Sid.
2: Yeah, thank you, Will, George. Uh, Joe, you mentioned before that uh, halfway with the nine to one ballon. A uh, nine to one ballon on, on the base was not needed, even though that line would then go via coax through that nine to one uh, into a c- tuner. I've been doing a lot of QRP outside because I'm restricted here in the house and uh, running 30 like on 20 meters, running a half wave. Uh, I am running a ballon then to the uh, ZM2 tuner, and it's I. Uh, The the funny things I've been watching when I use like an Elecraft T1 with those LEDs at the transmitter, when you, the difference between using the tail mode uh, uh, LED tuner, when you're in a tune mode, uh, I can get it, you know, where it's down very low, low light, and the uh, T1, the the SWR at at the transceiver is also showing... Very low uh, SWR, but when you go to the, the operate mode, the SWR kicks up to about two, and now is that what am I looking at and i've tried that with the uh, the, with the soda tuner, which is very similar, uh, or shall I not use that toroid at the base of the of the vertical of the wire
1: well thats that gets complicated actually, what I was talking about was not a a half-wave antenna with a, a a ballon on there with a turret on there. I was talking about a there's a um, company makes I, I think it's a 30 foot whip with one. Um, indeed, what you're talking about is a, a basically an end-fed half-wave, and um, they work best with the tuner connected directly to the uh, to the wire. And it could be a, an extended discussion, but quite often. Um, what you have there is a case where um, you need a little bit of a counterpoise because there will be some residual current um, on the on the um, on the ground side of the tuner, uh, and a couple feet, at least a couple feet uh, counterpoise will help uh, minimize some uh, body capacity and and, and uh, capacitance to the equipment effects. Um, that's a topic for another time, and, and I've experimented with it and found that a short counterpoise uh, stabilizes the thing quite a bit. And uh, the toroid really doesn't add much except loss.
2: Well, shall, okay then. If I use a tuner like the uh, Soda tuner or the uh, SLT t- tuner, at the base and use a counterpoise that'll I'll experiment with that because it's a maybe a function of body capacitance okay thank you very much I'll I'll play with that.
1: No oh, yeah, right. I, I I operate portable that way said and uh, perhaps we can talk about it another time.
0: Yeah Dave go ahead last last uh last comment for the evening.
2: Yeah tell him to check AA5 T B uh Steve Yates uh website
4: and he uh, uh, talks about half wave antennas and matching and things like that and i think it would help him also uh, uh, a short counterpoise
0: say again the call sign dave alpha alpha five uh tear baker okay good enough appreciate that so um we uh we had a good session this evening real th- Lots of information. I think this is what impresses me most about uh, what we try to do and so far is so good. Uh, We're able to collect a lot of information and go through it in a somewhat orderly fashion. To present you with a good overview of the technologies that we're dealing with. A good set of references. Most often uh, or many times a a reference design or a reference circuit that illustrates the points we're talking about that you can actually build up and uh, use. Um, we didn't do that this evening. Um, there are plenty of good, um, homebrew ATU designs and circuits. We covered a lot of it here this evening and we would urge you to really kind of go through there and, uh, pick out what, what tickles your fancy, whether you have a, um, a coax or a balance line, or, um, you want an fed or something along that line, you want to be sure to, uh, to grab, some of the references and build up what you what you got um with the dog in the background so um thanks again for everybody attending i uh, will attend we'll we'll be back here next week and with uh with our um, joe and i need to talk about it but with a great uh um with a great interest that everybody has in antennas i think we what we do is like to have a focus on these kinds of topics and something that's been of great interest to me and chat with joe about it and it's kind of like on our to-do list is coax Um, dealing with coax uh, what kind of lengths uh, what kind of issues do you have what kind of uh, tricks can you play Um, how can you use coax in a in a non uh, non non-traditional way how can you where can you get good coax what constitutes good coax coax connectors And there's all sorts of other things along that line so all in the line of antennas and feed lines and adjustments of uh, impedance these are all kind of things that are common to us all and i think that uh, there's there can be a lot of interest in there so if not next week we'll have it in our queue but nonetheless that's that's kind of comes to mind going forward um and also uh just a last mention um we're going to take off the last um whiteboard the last web page from last week's session, the uh, um, the rookie there, I was surprised to see that there was very little uh, response, very little interest in, in getting those those kits at cost. So we're going to take down that offer real shortly um, after we close down here tonight. And the regular webpage for that particular kit will go back up with the regular prices. But we thought that there would be more interest in some of the attendees here to take advantage and grow uh, and get that experimentation platform. Maybe some of our other circuits will be of interest. We'll, we'll see how that goes. If we if there is sufficient interest, we'll keep that up. If not, you know, that'll go by the wayside. But anyways, Norm. yes, Norm?
4: George, I got two of those rookie kits. They're still in the bag. I, I got some ideas of what to do with them, but I did get some really good ideas off the whiteboard. So I thank you for, for that.
0: Good deal. Glad to hear that, Norm. Thanks. Okay. Thanks everybody for attending. Um, we'll see you next week on Chat with the Designers. This is your uh, your co-host George N2APB and Joe N2CX did a great job tonight, almost solo. Thank you very much, Joe, for sharing your expertise and and uh, your oversight on this technology. It's it's really interesting stuff, and I I for one just was sitting back and enjoying it a lot myself this time as well. So seventy three all. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Please tune in next week for the next session of Chat with the Designers.